Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Would you stand with us here in the room? Welcome to those joining us online. Today is the day the Lord has made, and we are glad to be the church. We're going to celebrate our story. We're going to sing to Jesus, the one who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, so that we declare and praise his name and announce to the world, to each other, what he has done. Amen. We're going to celebrate baptisms later and welcome people into our family. And so let's celebrate our story. Let's sing together. this new song with us. I saw Satan fall like lightning And I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders resurrection power but the miracle that I just can't get over my name is registered in heaven my place belongs to you forever this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story and I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters. But with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son, and Father. Our God, finish what He started. Yeah, our God, finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life. Because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. Testimony, this is my testimony. Yeah. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead. You're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead. You're not done. You're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead. You're not done. Greater things are still to come. story and I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony oh I 
Amen. Church, you may be seated. Good morning, church family. You can have a seat. This morning, we get to celebrate baptism together, and I get to be a part of leading you guys in that. My name is Emily, and I serve on our Kids Life team. Across all four of our services, we have 29 brothers and sisters that are declaring their faith publicly through baptism today. So I hope you are ready to party. <laughs> this morning, I get to baptize some of my sweet kiddos, and it's a joy to be able to do that. I want you to know, though, that there's nothing funky about baptism. Um, it's a symbol, a picture of the gospel, a picture of the decision that our friends have already made to follow Jesus. And so when you see our friends go under the water, it represents them being buried with Christ in his death and their sins being buried in Christ's death. And when they come up out of the water, it represents the new life they have in Christ because of his resurrection. And at the end of each baptism, feel free to cheer and celebrate whether you're here or at home. This is a beautiful picture and reminder to us of the gift of salvation that we have in Christ. So I'd like to invite my friend Olivia to come on down. Olivia is one of our fifth graders and she's been waiting for this day for like at least five years. <laughs> come on up here, girl. Olivia, you are spunky and so bold. You know the love of Jesus for you. And it's really cool to see you boldly want to declare that in front of your church family but also to want to tell others who don't know God who he is and what you know to be true of him. And my prayer for you, friend, as you grow in your faith is that God would continue to remind you that he is faithful always and that you can trust him and lean on him no matter whether good times are good or really bad. So Olivia, is it your testimony in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then your mom and I get to baptize you as fellow believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My name is Renita Gilliland and I oversee our ministry for kids in grades K through fourth grade. And this is Xander Slager. Uh, Xander, I've known him since he was in kindergarten and I've seen him grow tremendously. Xander has been through some incredible trials in his young life. And you're still going through those, aren't you? But I'm so proud of Xander because he has not given up on God. He has grown and to, to have a really strong faith in the Lord. And uh, he wants to get baptized today to show everyone his love for the Lord and how, how he believes Jesus is there for him. And uh, his mom says, we've seen Xander grow recently to find his voice and strength in God. Through Xander's struggles and pain, he has spoken clearly with great confidence to many people. He has seemed like David facing Goliath. Xander has said, I do not need to be afraid. God has given me strength to face my fears. Xander, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then as a fellow believer, I'm going to baptize you.
This is Heidi Schumacher. Heidi is seven years old in the second grade, and she can tell you very clearly who Jesus is and why he's her savior. Mom says Heidi put her faith in Jesus last year right before Easter. She wants to thank her friends and her school for helping her learn about God and his word. Heidi's favorite verse is Joshua 1.9. She says, when I'm afraid, I know God is by my side protecting me. And Heidi, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And because of that confession, as a fellow believer, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is my friend, Mary Ray. And Mary and I have known each other for a couple years. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for how you have served others. And I'm glad that no pandemic can stop you from getting baptized. Mary was wanting to get baptized in March of last year and that got put on hold and now she's here. And after listening to your story, Mary, I want to just ask you, is it your testimony in front of your friends, family, your church, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's because of that testimony. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is David Pitts, and uh, David and I uh, shared some time just recently, and I got to hear his story. David, I am, uh, I gotta tell you, that night, I was so blessed to just hear your story and how God has been working on you, and also, in the midst of that, working on your family. So we get to baptize David and three of his kids here this morning. Yeah. David, it's my prayer that your faith would leave a legacy for your kids. And this is one of the very first things that's gonna do that. So I wanna ask you in front of your church family, your friends, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? By the grace of God, it is. Amen. Well, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Elisha, I want to ask you, in front of your church family, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. I'll make sure it's down here. 
Well, it is your dad's privilege and my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Josiah Pitts. I got to listen to Josiah's testimony and I'm thankful for you, man. I wanna encourage you to keep living for the Lord in the years ahead and don't waver on it. He's got you. So I wanna ask you in front of your church family, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, it is. Well, it's your dad and I's privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and this is Layla. Layla, I am so thankful for the woman that you are becoming in, in the Lord. I'm just thankful to listen to your story. It was a blessing. So I want to ask you, is it your testimony in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, it is. Well, then it is your dad and I's privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. them into our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing together. The word says, seek the Lord in his face. Seek his presence continually. Let's do that this morning together. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's room.
Spirit, you are welcome. We open our hearts to you and you love to bring us to Jesus. You open our eyes to see him and the God who said, let there be light is the same that has shown in our hearts and has enabled us with power to see the glory, the beauty of his face in Jesus Christ. And that is what you love to do, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to the glory and the beauty of the Son of God, Jesus. So I pray that you give us hearts this morning that are open, that are sensitive to your voice, and that we will see the King. We will see King Jesus taste and see of his goodness.
and every tear he'll wipe away and we'll be at home the war will be over soon we will meet our savior face to face oh we long to see him every bird will be lifted in his presence every trope Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online. Most of you happen to be watching online, and especially to you committed, persevering Chicagoans who love snow and are here this morning. We got a lot of snow here in Chicago. I want you to know, those of you that are watching from other parts of the country, and it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, creation has been the handiwork of our God, right? And he continually speaks to us through the uh, beauty of the summer and the beauty of the winter, and I just love this time of year. I just wish I was skiing. Uh, this morning, as we have been singing, so I want to talk to you about the incredible, I mean absolutely incredible, ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. Easily one of the most misunderstood, mystical subjects in the Bible. But as we will see, according to our passage and according to Jesus, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is certainly one of the most important subjects in the Bible. And I, I can't wait to get into this. I can't wait for you to see what I think is absolute gold here in God's Word. Let me set it up this way. In our house, we have a ping pong table in the basement. And we've got a lot of grandkids, but our grandkids 
are really too young to be able to play ping pong, but what they love to do is take a ping pong paddle and these innocent ping pong balls and clobber them and whack them all over the place. So we find them in our bookshelves, these balls in the bathroom, under couches, and some of them have been split, some of them have been dented, and they're basically trying to hide from these precious little rugrats. But isn't that sometimes how you and I feel about life? Take this last year with COVID and all the changes, all the upset, all the difficult, all difficulties, all the obstacles that COVID has created for all of us. Or disappointments in our life that may be related to COVID may have nothing to do with COVID. Or as we go through life with unanswered questions and uh, we have confusions and we uh, bear burdens and we see injustice around us. We feel just like a ping pong ball. You see, life is sometimes like a paddle. And we're that ball, and it's whack, whack. And that's exactly how the disciples, Jesus' disciples, felt the night before Jesus was crucified. Uh, Jesus had told them, told them repeatedly that he was about to be killed, that Peter, the lead disciple, would deny him, and that Jesus would leave them, and the disciples felt whacked. So overwhelmed by their present problems, they, they could not see any future opportunities. So in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, in this what is called Upper Room Discourse, Jesus calls a huddle and he brings together the disciples and he speaks to them in the final hours of his earthly life and he equips them knowing that in spite of their weaknesses, God is going to use them to change Western civilization. And what Jesus seems to emphasize and all the wonderful things Jesus talks about in these five chapters, what he seems to focus on, what he seems to emphasize is the Holy Spirit telling us that the Holy Spirit is a key to living large, the key to spiritual health. Uh, the key to taking on the world. Uh, the key to overcoming adversity. As a matter of fact, in these five chapters, there are five different sections, all of them short, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the emphasis Jesus makes here. Because Jesus wants you to understand the priority and the wonder and the beauty of the ministry of the Spirit in your life. And that's what I want to unpack today. I want to look at the identity of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, 
and then how we can grow in the Spirit. So let's start with the identity of the Spirit, but first, let's read our passage. So out of respect for God's Word, would you stand with me as we read beginning in John 14 and verse 15. Now I want to tell you, this is dense. There's a lot of content here. So hang with Jesus and, and think as we read his words. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit mean to you and to me? Well, the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises, is with you and in you. Remember that. The Holy Spirit is with you and in you. The Holy Spirit is with me and in me. And Jesus continues, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus and the Father in that. And he continues in verse uh, 20. I'm going to read on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is promising to indwell us in addition to the Spirit. So verse 21, now whoever has my commands and again keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now this question is based on a misunderstanding. Judas and the disciples believed that when Jesus would come back, he would come back physically and manifest himself physically. So the question is, well, if we as the disciples can see you physically, why can't people around us see you? Why can't the world? And Jesus answers, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, Jesus is saying something sobering. He is saying, of all the different people groups, of all the different demographics, of all the different nationalities uh, throughout human history, uh, since the advent of Jesus Christ, there's been two groups of people, only two groups of people, those that love Jesus, obey Jesus, and experience Jesus, and those that don't. And the one will see Jesus, and the other won't. And that's Jesus' point. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit. This is the first time the word holy is attached to spirit in the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of astonishing everything I have said to you. And now Jesus lands this. 
peace I live with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and under no circumstances be afraid. You may be seated. Now, do you see the connection here between the Holy Spirit and peace? Jesus, at the beginning of our passage, promises us the Holy Spirit. And then at the end, he promises peace. The path to peace is the Holy Spirit. And so now let's pick up the identity of the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples knew that the Old Testament talked about the Spirit of God. But what Jesus has to say is mostly new content, new material for the disciples. And what does Jesus do here? He says two things in terms of the identity of the Holy Spirit. First, let's jump to verse 17. Jesus doesn't describe the Holy Spirit here as an it. Over and over, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a him or a he. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not a cosmic force. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's Jesus' point number one. Let's back up to verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, I will come back to this important word, advocate, but I want to center on, as commentators do, this word, another. In the Greek, there are two different words for another. Another of a different kind, another of the same kind. So if I say to you, I need another animal in my house because I just found out I'm allergic to cats and my five cats have got to go. That's another of a different kind. But if I say to you, I'll have another Coke, that's another of the same kind. And it's another of the same kind that Jesus uses here. And this is huge because Jesus has spent three years claiming to be God. Doing only what God can do in terms of miracles and healings. As a matter of fact, in John 14 at the very beginning in verse 1, then again in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is repeatedly claiming to be God. And so when he says the advocate is another of the same kind, he is saying the Holy Spirit, who is a person, is equally God as I am equally God, equally divine as I am equally divine. The first advocate, Jesus Christ. The second advocate, the Holy Spirit, equally God. Now, this is why you see in verse 16, Jesus telling us the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Uh, thousands and millions of people, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Only deity can do that. It's why in the next verse, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. It's a claim of the Holy Spirit's deity. And then if you bounce down to verse 26, which we just read, Jesus makes these remarkable statements. He, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything. Another claim to the deity of the Holy Spirit. The second advocate is just as fully divine as the first. He's a person, 
He's fully divine. Now let me complicate things for a moment, and then I'm going to return to the Holy Spirit. If you read this section closely, there are all sorts of statements without using the word Trinity that point to the Trinity. So we are told, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. He tells us he will dwell in us. And you come to verse 23, then he says, the Father and I will make our home with you. In other words, the Father will dwell in you. So to be a believer in Jesus Christ, this is absolutely incredible. This is why I say this is pure gold. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwell in you. And that is forever. In good times and bad times. When you feel it and you don't feel it. And of course... This points to what makes Christianity unique. And that is we don't believe in a single person God or three different gods. We believe in one God who exists or sometimes we say subsists in three different persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now often in both the Old Testament and here... God is referred to, God the Father is referred to the, as the Father. Now, I just want to camp on this for a second. I want you to understand that before God was a creator, before God was a ruler, God was the Father. Overflowing in love before anything ever existed, any material thing ever existed, in love for God the Son and God the Spirit. And the Trinity has existed from the beginning of time and it will exist through um, e eternity future in this unbelievable overflow of love. Creation is the overflow of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when you think of God, we often tend to think that God is sovereign or, or that, that God is in control and that comforts us and it should. But I want you to understand, before God ever created, he was a lover. And let that melt your heart when it gets icy because you're not getting your way. But I, I, I'm not going to focus on the Trinity. I'm going to focus on the role of the Holy Spirit here. Um, and, and to some, what I want you to understand is the Spirit that is inside you is not some impersonal gas. He's a person who dwells in you. And that means right at the center of your life is the Holy Spirit. Now, do you get this? And what I mean by that on a daily basis, do you get who really is dwelling in you? One commentator, I think, rightly points out that this changes how we understand what the New Testament means when it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says we have to be a little careful with that concept because we tend, we might end up thinking that the Holy Spirit is like a liquid that fills a, a, a glass. 
And then the problem is we begin to think that to be filled with the Holy Spirit means I need to give myself to some techniques. Oh, if I read the Bible more, then I'll get two more ounces. If I do this, I'll get two more ounces. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid, not a gas. The Holy Spirit is a a person. So the question we ask ourselves is what does it mean to be filled with a person? Gosh, this is so awesome. It means to be filled with love. Adoration, respect. Like a, a, a little child is filled with love and adoration and respect for his mom, or his dad. Another pastor tells a story of remembering that when he was young, his family went all out one long weekend when they hosted a guest who was well-known, widely known, and highly respected. Uh, The pastor said it was like I died and woke up in better homes and gardens. The food was fabulous, the house was spotless, and nobody in the family argued. And it wasn't fake. It was we were all so caught up, so thrilled, so excited about the guest that was with us that everything else sort of melted away. Are you thrilled about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Does it change how you look at things? Uh, Does it cause uh, your your problems to melt away? The Spirit is in me. The Spirit is with me. The Spirit is for me. The Spirit is in me and that forever. Does this incredible reality bring you peace? Does it change how you look? At your priorities, how you think about your future, how you think about your present, how you view yourself. I mean your self-image. The Spirit is in me. Do you see how wonderful and marvelous this is? There is no sinful habit that the Holy Spirit cannot break in your life. There is no wound the Holy Spirit cannot heal. There is no relationship that the Holy uh, Spirit cannot mend. There is no this, there is no that. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is with you and he is in you. So, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means you, as a follower of Christ, have complete confidence in the one who is inside you. And it thrills you. Now, I've been talking personally. Do you see what this means for us as a church? I mean, Wheaton Bible Church right now. Over the last year, roughly a year, I have watched Jim Getz, the chairman of our search committee, John Walker, the chairman of our elder board, continually lean into, cling to, talk about, lead us into dependence on the Holy Spirit, recognizing that as we search for 
the next senior pastor, this is a spirit thing. So yes, our candidate withdrew at, in the ninth hour, but I, I, I want to tell you, now isn't plan B. It's plan A because there is no plan B when the Holy Spirit is present, when the Holy Spirit is helping us, when the Holy Spirit is with us, when the Holy Spirit is in front of us and behind us, above us and and below us, and the Holy Spirit is inside us. Changes, yes. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is just as potent, uh, just as alive, Uh, just as wonderful this week as it was two weeks ago here at Wheaton Bible Church. We are spirit people. You are a spirit person. And I, for one, can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the months and the years to come. And our confidence, and again, I'm getting at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our confidence isn't in our smarts. It's in the promise of the presence of the Spirit. So the identity of the Spirit is that the Spirit is a person, the Spirit is fully God, and now I want to go to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and these categories sort of blur because I've been talking about the ministry of the the Spirit, and I, I want to do that by looking at two titles that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit here. And the first is the title Advocate. Twice in our passage, he calls the Holy Spirit an advocate. He will do it again in chapter 15. I'll show you that in a second. He will do it again in chapter 16. Now, this word advocate is translated in different versions of the Bible with different words. So you may be reading a Bible where instead of advocate, it's helper or counselor or comforter or encourager. And so we ask ourselves, why is this word translated differently? And the answer is when this happens, it's because of the richness of the Greek term behind our English terms. And because that Greek term is so rich and so full, it can't adequately be translated by one term. And so some translated helper, but helper has a weakness. Uh, As a matter of fact, that's it. A helper seems to be a little too weak in talking about God. Uh, Counselor seems to be a little too detached. A comforter, encourager seems to be a little too soft. An advocate, which is the term I prefer, tends to be a little too stiff, a little too uh, formal. But what I do want you to understand, that this word is often used in the original language in a, a legal sense of an attorney arguing a case for a client. It's why we often call attorneys counselors. So, for example, two chapters later in John chapter 16, Jesus uses the term advocate to describe the role of the Spirit in the world, and he says that the Holy Spirit 
uh, and this is the implication, is like a prosecuting attorney who convicts the world of sin. But that's John 16. Here in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the lives of believers. And so maybe it's better not to think so much as a prosecuting attorney, but as a, a defense attorney who's making a case for our purity in order to protect us, in order to guide us. So what this means, and I'm going to apply this in three different ways, what this means is that the Holy Spirit is present in your life to argue with you about your idols, to counsel you about your idols. Well, let me speak personally. Right before COVID hit last year, we put our house on the market to sell it. COVID came and we took our house off the market for a while, but all this to say our house if you net it out, has been on the market a, a long time. And nothing of substance is happening. We've dropped the price. You know, you do those things. We're making some changes as we go. Now to compound our problem, or at least I don't want to speak for Ron. I'm going to speak for myself here. My problem is we have found another house we really think would work for us. And the Holy Spirit has been arguing with my spirit, with my heart. And as I shared with you a month ago, one of the ways he's arguing is by Psalm 106 and verse 13. Rob, relax. Wait for God's plan to unfold. Don't make the mistake Israel did. Wait, be patient. Okay, God, but could you hurry up? Israel didn't wait. The Spirit is saying, Rob, wait. God's got a plan, and the plan will unfold. And then this week, I'm getting ready for this sermon, and I come to verse 23. Did you guys get verse 23? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them. And here it is. We will make our home with them. My stars. In the context, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father have made their home with me, made their home with you. They indwell us. And so how is the Spirit arguing using this verse? The Spirit is arguing, Rob, as great as a home can be, you have an infinitely greater home right now with me. And ultimately... The curtain will be removed and you will be blown away by your home in heaven. And so the Spirit is my defender and my, my counselor is arguing, Rob, don't make a house an idol. I don't know, maybe you can't relate to that, but I can. Now let me talk about the Spirit arguing with us in temptation. And let's say you're a 17-year-old boy, a male, and you live in a culture, we live in a culture, but you live in a culture, your friends and your schools, 
that denies the sacred order. Uh, by that I mean the existence of God. And scoffs increasingly, disdains increasingly Christianity because Christianity is viewed as repressive, stifling individual desires, individual impulses, and especially in our culture, sexual impulses. We live in a thoroughly sexualized culture today. And so your friends, the culture says, man, if you feel it as the old Nike yet, uh, do it. Life is about satisfying your impulses. And that means all sorts of dramatic things. But the Holy Spirit is inside you as a 17-year-old believer in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is arguing, no, no, no. God does exist. Jesus loves you so much, he died for you. He gave his life to rescue you. And the only way you will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and sustain them, the only way you will experience the best life that God has intended for you is not by you capitulating to your desires, but by you denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Someone I really respect once said that our hearts are idiots. Now, I would argue that that's Paul's point in Romans chapter 3. And my point is that God has given you an advocate, a counselor, to enable you to stand against the dark desires of your heart, the dark ones. Or let's say you feel worthless. Uh, uh, maybe it's because you're a perfectionist and you feel like you can't measure up and you try and you try and you do a, a lot of good things, but there's this nagging voice, I'm just inadequate, and, and your perfectionism beats you up and it, and it creates guilt. And I, what I'm about to say, I'm going to say in love, but I really want you to hear me. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit is appalled at your feelings of worthlessness because the Holy Spirit knows how much God loves you. So how does the Holy Spirit argue with you? Well, the Holy Spirit uh, uses verses like Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself testifies. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You are not pond scum. You are a beloved son, a beloved daughter, the king of kings, infinitely more loved than the best parent loves a, a, a child. And so my point in all this is as your advocate, the Holy Spirit argues for you by arguing against you. Wow. So the ministry, the first ministry... Uh, the Holy Spirit is one of advocacy. The second, uh, the second title 
is that the Holy Spirit guides us, points us, fills us with truth. So look at verse 17. What is the Holy Spirit called? Jesus gives the Holy Spirit the title, the, the, the Spirit of Truth. Now, what exactly does that mean, or what exactly is this ministry? Well, let's go back to verse 26. But the advocate, the, the spirit whom the Father has sent in my name, uh, notice this language, will teach you all things, all things, and remind you of everything that I have, have said to you. Uh, so uh, the role of the Holy Spirit is to get us to truth. Now, now think about this as it plays out historically with the disciples. So the disciples had no way of being able to remember uh, maybe just a fraction of the three years of Jesus' teaching. All the stories, all the miracles, all the conversations, humanly impossible. But Jesus promises here the Holy Spirit will remind them. And the Holy Spirit will enable them to, to write it down and to make sure that the New Testament is just as truthful, just as inspired, just as inerrant as the Old Testament. And so the Holy Spirit ministry relative to truth is that I have given you this book, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Truth from the beginning to the end not to satisfy your curiosity, but to change your life. Because the Bible is one story with one hero, and the hero is Jesus Christ. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to show us over and over what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, so we will see Jesus not just as useful, but beautiful. That's exactly what Jesus says in the next chapter. When the advocate comes, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. And notice this. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? He will testify about me. In the next chapter, in verse 14, Jesus says the same thing differently when he says the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Now, now, friends, listen to me. There's a lot of confusion about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And what Jesus is telling us is the Holy Spirit's ministry is a spotlight. To throw the light not on the Spirit, but on Jesus. He will testify about me. He, he will uh, glorify me. So the Holy Spirit has given you the Word of God so you might learn about the Son of God because the Spirit wants you to understand that the only way to peace, the only way to an untroubled heart and trouble, the only way to taking a stand in the world for Jesus is by seeing Jesus in His glory, His radiance, His beauty, His humility, His surrender, His submission, His suffering, and His sacrifice. Such is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me conclude with, well, how do, how do we grow in this? How do we grow in the Holy Spirit? And over and over in our passages, and I'm, there's different ways, but I'm going to focus on what's said in our passage, Jesus emphasizes you grow through your obedience. 
So let's go back to the very first verse. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Seven words. And he will say this repeatedly in our passage, sometimes using the word obey. But I want you to understand that our concept of obedience is often too rigid because according to the Bible and what Jesus is getting at here, obedience isn't merely, I would suggest it's not even primarily following a rigid set of rules as if the Bible is all about rule-keeping. No, obedience is the overflow of a love relationship for Jesus, with Jesus Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's an overflow of a deep faith, a deep confidence, a, a deep belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus is assuming belief in every verse that we have just read. So let me put obedience and uh, love together. So Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, Jesus has just said, keep my commands, is what? It's not that you memorize the Old Testament. It's that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So what does it mean to obey and keep Jesus' commandments? It means that you spend your day in and through the busyness, the stresses of your day, living in light of the fact that your father loves you and you are doing everything in, to love him in return. And it means you trust him, you believe in him. So to obey me, uh, Jesus means you love Jesus, you trust Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? It means you obey, it means you trust. What does it mean uh, to trust Jesus? It means you love him and you obey him. And then what does Jesus promise? I will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you, to be in you, to be for you. And, and, and this is all so marvelous. And, and to obey Christ is a grace because this call to obedience is a grace that rescues us from ourselves. And therefore, obedience, according to Jesus, isn't a duty, it's a delight. I mean, when Rhonda asked me to do something, I want to do it because I love her. And let me talk about freedom. The old metaphor is a train isn't free when it's off the tracks, but only when it's on the tracks. In the same way, you and I will be free indeed to use the language of the Bible. To the extent we walk the path, we walk the road. We stay within the wonderful guardrails that God has given us. But it's not a duty, man, it's a delight. And we can only do that because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwell within you. And if you get this, I mean, if you personalize it, if you live in light of it, I want you to understand then you will be just like these first disciples. And you will stand for Christ regardless of the cost. And you will live lives of compassion and humility and mercy. And you will care deeply about your neighbor, deeply about the people uh, around you. And you will experience peace in the face of problems. God the Father has given you God the Spirit 
so that you will fall more and more in love with God the Son. The Holy Spirit has come into your life to enable you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at all you have given us. All these rich promises about the the presence, the power, the reality, the joy of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Oh God, forgive us for continually, repeatedly forgetting who we are, especially in difficulty. Fill us with the wonder of the beauty of who you are and all you have done for us as our Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. Amen. Church, will you stand with us? Let's sing together this prayer to the Holy Spirit.
Spirit, lead me onward, walking through the great unknown, trusting, leaning, holding, clinging, till the day you lead me on. love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the activation and application of the Word of God to our lives by the agency of the Holy Spirit fill us, change us, and increase our joy. And all God's people said, amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Have a great day.